All right, man. This is episode number 74 of the Cozy Corner of Cinema. This is being recorded on Monday, August 28th, 2023 at 3.20 p.m. I have a fresh cup of coffee right here and a cold seltzer to the left of it to keep the hot and the cool at bay. And it's very nice, very delicious, I tell you. All right. So, plenty to talk about today, plenty to get into Never enough time for it all. If you've listened to the show long enough, you'll know that never quite have enough time to talk about everything, so we'll do what we can, and uh, we'll try our best, I suppose. There was a book that I came across recently that will definitely need to be read at some point. Uh, I was talked about a while ago how much I enjoyed Killing for Culture um, from Edison to Isis, which is the, th- the second or third edition of that book. I think the original book came out sometime in the 90s or the early 2000s as a very memorable uh, cover art of a, uh, I, don't, I don't know what it's from, but it's somebody carrying a decapitated head. And uh, that book was written by David Karekis and David Slater. And the version that I read, which was the uh, most updated one, I believe from 2015. Uh, don't quote me on that. I know it was from the last couple of years or so um but that was the one that has uh, updated information about going into uh you know the some of the videos that are popping up online and then the isis videos and, and all that stuff but this book i came across which i'll definitely want to be definitely want to read at some point this book real snuff by gene rises and uh looks like it's uh, about Strictly just about snuff films, about their place in pop culture, and it uh, looks as well as, uh, you know, some true crime cases of, uh, you know, videos or audios that were, that were found. Um, you know, the true crime stuff I'm not as much into. I mean, I find some of that stuff fascinating, but I'm more looking at this from uh, an academic kind of point of view, uh, more so the idea of the films that uh, relates to uh, the the topic in question. I mean, that, the Killing for Culture book was a wealth of knowledge, just so many films to come away with that from, you know, narrative Hollywood films to the uh, Mondo films to the, uh, you know, the era of the Face of Death uh, films that lead into the shockumentaries, you know, the Traces of Death, the Faces of Gore, uh, faces of Dying, uh, you know, Banned in America, Banned from Television, um, you know, all that stuff. And then I, it talks about some of the mixtapes that were going around. I, I believe that was the one that, that was talking about some of the mixtapes. I'm not exactly sure. I think I may have touched on some of them, but I don't remember. Like, I don't think it discusses... From what I can remember, I don't believe it discusses, like, the the MD Pope mixtapes or uh, any of the newer ones. I mean, that's a whole, you know, that's just so strayed far away from uh, from the from the Mondo, the documentary types, whereas those the mixtapes are just, you know, ones that you can just pull videos off of online and stuff. That's a whole other conversation. I'm, I, I'm just talking about the evolution of that kind of stuff. But it looks like this book is talking about, uh, you know, I'm looking at the cover here, and you have, like, a, like you know, the poster of uh, Snuff. Uh, you have a clip from Emmanuel in America, a clip from uh, the making of a Serbian film uh, during the one sequence with the uh, machete to the uh, to the neck on that, and um, two uh, murderers in the front here. Like I said, the true crime stuff I'm not really as interested in. I mean, it's, I mean, the the you know that stuff is interesting, but it's not totally for me. But at the same time, 
uh, you know, it's, I'm more looking at it from the, um, film aspect of it but yeah this will definitely be read at some point for sure this looks incredibly fascinating and you know there's just so much to read you're just never going to be able to get through it all it's like you know there's just so much to watch i mean you mean geez louise man i look at my watch list of just things i gotta i, I plan on watching i know for a fact i just i'm never going to get through it all it's just not possible you know between the films i have and the films that i have to stream and the films that i have recorded off tcm and films for the show i mean inevitably you're going to have to, you know, utilize your time in the best way that you see fit. And that's what I always talk about in the show, which is using your time wisely, using it to further yourself and your interest, you know, using it to work on your art and on your passions. And, you know, I uh, you know I have to put X amount of time aside for watching and I have to put X amount of time aside for reading and especially for writing. You know, all these things need to get done and I don't have time nor interest in dilly-dallying and talking about nonsense with nonsense people. You know, if I'm going to spend time with people and if I'm going to uh, converse, I want to walk away with something. I've, you know, I have plenty of acquaintances whom I enjoy talking to because they're you know interested in art as well and I can walk away from get some recommendations from them, put some recommendations on them, and ultimately have fulfilling conversations that further life's narrative more rather than just inane, banal, just, hey, how was the weather? Oh, you hear about this? Oh, you hear what this celebrity said? Oh, you hear what this, you know, it's like, I don't care about any of that stuff, man. <clears throat> now, obviously, you want to be, <clears throat> sorry, guys, we got a sip of this coffee right here. I got a, something in my throat. But obviously, you want to be polite too. You know, if you you gotta be really forthright in um, what your intentions are. You know, I've got I have no use of just wasting my night by hanging out and doing nothing. You know, so it's like if somebody says, "Hey, man, you want to come over and you know do this," and if I, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, I appreciate the invitation, but no, thank you. But you know, thank you for thinking of me, and, and you know. Um, that that's really where I'm where I'm kind of at, but of course I, I do love you know I enjoy uh, the conversations that I have with acquaintances talking about films, talking about art, talking about uh, you know things that will further our artistic uh, and creative endeavors. Man, you know you want to meet people who are also interested sort of in pursuing their goals. You know you want to you know it can be hard because you know you talk to a lot of people and they don't have any kind of long term goals. Their only goal is to get to the end of the work week, have a beer, and pass out. And if that's what you want to do you know and that's how you want to live your life then no one should tell you not to you know as long as you're not hurting yourself or anybody else as long as you're not you know neglecting your your responsibilities you know and if you want to spend your time you know sitting and watching tv you know and just drinking beer if that's how you feel you got to do then you do it and we can all learn from you you know by taking control of our own life but if you know you're someone who just is not that's just not even remotely on the radar man you know it's, i'm very forthright in getting the job done getting what I need to get done, done, getting the writing, the reading, the watching done. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just no use or time for dilly dallying, you know, it's just, it's just not even remotely on the radar. But with that said, I got to, uh, so many books he's got to read, man. I've just, I've just been, I, I've just, I had this one book I've had for about a week and a half now. I haven't had an opportunity to start on. I've been knee deep in this writing project that's been taking up the uh, time that I have uh, that I would normally use for reading. I end up using to get this uh, done, you know, and then I get back into the into the the throes of it. 
but yeah, there's just, there's just so much here. I've, there's just so many books to read, so many films to watch. It's just, it's, it can be overwhelming, but you just take it one at a time. You know that you focus on this, or some people, you know, they like to read two, three, four books at a time. Some people like to read one book at a time. Some people, you know, they like to prioritize. They like to, you know, whatever it is. Uh, it's all about using your time in the way that you feel you need to see fit, and ultimately, you are the writer, you are the director, you are the one-man crew of your life, and you got to make sure, man, that you are on, on in complete control of it. Sorry, man, my throat's a little dry. If you hear me stuttering a little bit, or you hear, uh, you know, some uh, a, gra- a raspiness in my voice, I do apologize. You know, I'm just trying to maintain this kind of uh, uh, enough uh, fluids in me. This coffee's certainly helping, and so is this delicious water. It's delicious seltzer water. But with that said, all right, man. Okay, let me get this ready right here. You know, it's interesting. I, I, the other night, and I don't, I guess like, I mean, I'll talk about this in relation to, uh, to the big, uh, Christopher Nolan Oppenheimer. I was curious to watch from, um, let me get the year, 1989, Fat Man and Little Boy, directed by Roland Yaffe, who has directed films like uh, The Killing Fields and The Mission, uh, The Scarlet Letter. I believe that's the one with Daniel Day-Lewis and... Nope. What the hell? Oh, you know what, my man? I'm thinking of... Um, holy guacamole, man. What the hell am I thinking of? Oh, this is so embarrassing, man. I'm a uh, Crucible. That's what I'm thinking of. The Crucible, not the Scarlet Letter. Jeez Louise. Anyways, he's directed many a film. And he directed this film, Fat Man and Little Boy, which is specifically about the time at Los Alamos, where you have Paul Newman in the lead. Well, the closest thing to a lead character in this, you know. And actually, let me pull up the IMV page right here, because it only is giving me the actors and not any more specifics about it. So you have uh, Paul Newman in the lead here, General Leslie Groves, who in Oppenheimer was played by Matt Damon, and this film primarily takes place in the time at Los Alamos with all the scientists working on the atomic bomb. It's less about the building of the bomb itself, more about kind of the moral conundrums that some of these characters are in. We follow a couple different characters. Dwight Schultz Schultz plays J. Robert Oppenheimer. We have Bonnie Bedelia playing Kitty Oppenheimer. Laura Dern uh, playing Kathleen Robinson, who's a nurse. I mean, it's actually quite a solid cast. You have a young Laura Dern, a young John Cusack, uh, Natasha Richardson, John C. McGinley, Ed Lauder, I believe, has a small role in the film. Uh, I thought I'd read that somewhere. Maybe I'm mistaken about that. Uh, You know, it's a good cast and the film itself I think is worth watching in context to uh, a film made you know 40 years later Um, because the thing with this film is that uh, I'm sorry not 40 years later 30 about 34 years later as I said that I'm like I'm getting my math wrong on that man but it's it's a lot of the same ideas but ultimately the historical inaccuracies are up for you to investigate now I have not read I have general knowledge of the whole situation. Actually, American Prometheus is another book that is on my 
to read list, you know, which is the film that, the, which was the book that Oppenheimer is primarily being taken from. This film kind of jumps between different characters. Paul Newman, I say, is in the lead, but I think he has as much screen time as Dwight Schultz. And they both are, they do serviceable jobs. You watch a film like this for the context's sake, not necessarily for the historical sake. I'm sure you can break down what exactly historical inaccuracies are there. I don't think that John Cusack's character was even a real person. I think he may have been an amalgamation of other people. And um, the conflicts that he gets into in the film, to my knowledge, I don't know if it even happened or not, but this film and another film, uh, The Beginning or The End from 1947, which is uh, along the same lines, which I have not seen yet but will be watched, are interesting comparison's sake um, to look at the ideas of what... They were what sources they were taking from, what uh, accounts, locations they were taking from to compare them as such. You know, if you want to compare them on quality-wise, that's your prerogative. I don't believe they should. Um, I think it's just interesting in context. But I did watch this on Canopy, I believe. Canopy is free through your library service, and if you're not on Canopy, make sure you're doing so. Make sure you go to your library, get some books, get some films, educate yourself. It's all for free. Just make sure sure you don't got any late fees, man, because you do, then, you know, that's, uh, that's your problem, man. But interesting film for context, and not necessarily a great film by any means. It's, it's just that. It's just interesting. Um, that's about all I can really say about it. Uh, let's see here. All right, let's jump to 2010. 2010, many good films that year, many good films every year. But we're talking about this film from director Apitapong Verasutical, who I've mentioned, I've talked about his other film, his newest film, Amoria, many times on the show. It made my top 10 favorite films of 2021 list. I talked about it when I originally had seen it theatrically, and that was the first of his work that I had seen. And I'm going to be talking about his film, Uncle Boon Me, Who Can Recall His Past Lives. And uh, I've known about this film for quite a number of years. I remember this poster being incredibly striking. Um, This was one that the imagery of this black kind of uh, outline with these glowing red eyes like a devil in the woods. I mean, even before I was aware of a Pictopong as a filmmaker, uh, you know, and being aware of, of exactly what kind of films he made. It was always such a striking image. Now, this is the second of his films that I've seen, so I, I really don't want to compare it, nor can I really compare it to Memoria in terms of just a very shallow kind of simplistic way of looking at how his films are made. I know he's done many other films, uh, like Cemetery of Splendor, uh, Syndromes and a Sanctuary, uh, other works here, lots of shorts, um, but this was one, like I said, I've been acutely aware of for a while now. And the, what, uh, what I get out of this film, and uh, Memoria as well, I know I said I wasn't going to compare the two, and I'm really not, but I'm talking about more so having only seen these two so I can bring this up, is the fact that these films are experiences. These are films that are not concerned with constantly entertaining you. They're not concerned with constantly keeping your attention. Now, that's going to sound like a detriment, but I promise you it's not, because when you watch this film, you put your telephone down, you turn off the lights, you don't, you're not distracted by, you know, any kind of outside nonsense, get off your telephone, you know, try not to go to the bathroom too much, you know, it happens, but, and you are completely sucked into the film, as a visual experience, 
you really feel time passing in this film by these long sequences where the camera is stationary. Characters have entire bouts of dialogue in the same frame. So you're watching this knowing they had to memorize all this. There's no trick photography here. But on top of that, you get these occasional striking images. Like I said before with the poster of this film and some of the imagery in it, there's this black kind of shadow with these glowing red eyes, which is something that there are a couple of moments in this film that are just like they're picturesque man and one of the interesting sequences early on is when there's actually uh this whole dinner conversation between um two entities i'll say um, i'll let you experience that on your own because it's a film that's not necessarily one to spoil it's not a traditional linear narrative <clears throat> but it's more about oh sorry geez i gotta pause this for a second got something in my throat oh i had to pause there for a second i tell you oh man Anyways, what I was saying before is that a film like this, man, I compared it to something recent, which is a different kind of film overall, but I'm talking about in terms of location-wise, because a lot of this film, now, I don't actually remember where exactly this was filmed. Uh, this, let me see if I can find the location really quick. Uh, it looks like primarily in Thailand. I got a bunch of locations here. Thailand, United Kingdom, France, Germany, Spain, and Netherlands. But you get these beautiful forests, these beautiful jungle areas, and, it, and it's a feeling of being, of, uh, you know, a film crew being away from uh, most of society and kind of in this isolated area. It reminds me of a film that came out a couple years ago, which I really like a lot, from Embrace of the Serpent, which is a different kind of film for sure. I think that's a little more uh, of a traditional narrative while still being a great film while still having these moments of real visual poetry where you're just able to, uh, it also helps that film isn't black and white, so the whole lighting scheme of that film is a completely different situation, whereas this is a beautiful-looking film. It's definitely taking its time with a lot of the visuals, and, uh, you know, if you're walking, if you're going to watch this and you're going to be looking for a traditional narrative, then you're not going to find it here. It's more about the experience of being in these isolated kind of settings, and I've actually read up a lot about this film since I've watched it, and some of it I'll, I think it's better if I don't say much because I think watching this film without any kind of, uh, in, with your own initial interpretation and then looking at what other people have said or, or even uh, picked upon as kind of intentions with some of the parts of the film, I, I think will kind of not, not necessarily alter the experience, but it'll put an idea in your head that may hinder it in one way or another. Um, this is just a film that, uh, between this and Memoria, I mean, he's this is totally just my kind of film very quiet very methodical visually heavy films that i've just be i've found absolutely beautiful man i've seen memoria twice now and that's a film that i actually loved more in a second viewing and this film i thought was fantastic as well but i think on a second viewing um I'm going to go to appreciate it a lot more, especially knowing so what you're getting into, because you, you try to show this one to, to just some, you know, you try to show this one to somebody who's not going to watch this kind of films, they're going to be bored out of their mind, they're going to be looking at, oh, where's the spectacle, where's the nauseating, you know, loud noises, where's the, you know, the flare, and I'm telling you, like, brother, this is all about being a meditative experience, and that's what it was. Um, I got this on Blu-ray from Netflix in the mail, and that's going to be going away within the next month, so this is going to be one of the last ones that I see that I get from there. But if you think this will be your kind of film, it is worth the time, as well as Memoria and his other work will have to be watched when that will be watched. And actually, speaking of filmmakers' work, I recently completed watching all the directorial efforts of John Sayles, starting with um, uh, The Return of the Secaucus 6, or what the hell is the name of it? The Return of the Secaucus 
Oh my gosh, IMDb. Good lord, what kind of search option is this? The Secaucus 7. Actually, I thought it was. I don't know why I said 6, but IMDb was not helping me out there. That all the way up to... That's from 1980 or 19... I think somebody... I, I thought I read 1979, but I guess 1980. Going up to 2013 with Gopher Sisters. And John Sales is a very interesting filmmaker because in the... He has about 15 or so films, I believe. Um... At least uh, directed films, I want to say, because he's also a prominent writer as well. He's written films like Alligator, uh, Men of War, um, um, what else? Uh, uh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh, the Howling, of course, uh, uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. But his directed work is much more uh, uh, almost meditative in a lot of ways, where a lot of his work is less about the story and more about kind of characters in these certain situations. I mean, there's exceptions, but I think one the one thing that I get out of his filmography is that he's a really, really good character actor, and he's taking really good chances with a lot of... I mean, he's going to... You know, some of his films are in Spanish, some of them are in English. He's going to different parts of Mexico and in America... And it's interesting seeing a, a film like Return of the Secaucus 7, which is comparable to maybe something like uh, later on, like a, like a Richard Linklater film, uh, who I know is a big fan of that film, but kind of that hangout sort of vibe that he brings into a lot of his work. You can definitely see a lot of influence from that film to his film. Uh, but then going on to more uh, a film like, uh, you know, one of my favorite films that he's done from 97, Men with Guns, uh, which is also, I mean, I, I mean, I know I've used this word a lot this episode, but it's also a meditative film as well. It's a violent film. Film. It's an it's an adventure film, but it is has this kind of relaxed, uh, kind of laid back quality to it. Uh, uh, you know, these characters are going into this this Mexican village, and it's one that uh, I think that and City of Hope were the two that I got really the most out of that I hadn't been familiar with. Um, you know, I don't want to choose favorites or anything like that. There's definitely some I like more than others, and honestly, I think they're they're even my least favorite of his work. I still find interesting things about it, um, and I mean his neural work is, is 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 interesting too. But I mean I'm not gonna even compare. I'm not gonna compare a director in his prime to a director's most recent work. That's just uh, you know that's just a bizarre comparison to even make, man. I mean you can look at it in terms of the styles and sort of the the directorial excuse me, directorial shifts over time, but to try to you know say like oh it's not as good as your earlier work. You know I always think of uh, what is it uh, our I was blank on the name of the film. I think it was Stardust Memories of Woody Allen. He goes to the festival, and everybody's saying, oh, it's not as good as your early work. It's not as, it's not as funny as your early work, man. You know, I can imagine the frustration there. But, um, yeah, just, just uh, I mean, if I had to throw out a couple of his films that I would say uh, were, you know, that if you haven't seen any of his work, like, I mean, I haven't seen any of his films. Um, uh, a couple I just throw out that I think, uh, you know, you should really be on. Uh, Baby XU from 83. Uh, Bro Brother from Another Planet from 84. Uh, Matt Twan from 87 and City of Hope from 91. I would say those are the four that you're going to want to be on. Um, and But I mean, all of his films I, I find interesting in one way or another. But with that said, right now I, I've moved on. So I went from Russ Meyer, who I ended up, I watched all his films, and uh, then John Sales. Now I'm on to Vittorio De Sica, who is a filmmaker. I've always heard in conversation with the with the just uh, with the uh, the great Italian filmmakers, um, but whose work I've seen very little of. I've only ever seen uh, Bicycle Thief, uh, Bicycle Thieves from '48, uh, which goes without saying, makes a terrific film. I've, you know, everybody's seen it. Um, but then I also just uh, coincidentally enough recently watched without knowing that it was uh, the Sika film was Indiscretion of an American Wife from '53, which um, I thought was interesting as well. It was only a few years after. 
bicycle thieves. But I'm going through his work as well. Um, I recently watched Red Roses from 1940, uh, which is for a debut film. I mean, it's short, it's sweet, it's uh, it's a good comedy drama, man. But it's one of these films where you're watching it, and when you get to the end of the film, you gotta wonder how much of the character's fate is sort of intentional. It's sort of like it's it's not as uh, how do I say this without, you know, giving away any kind of spoilers? Because I think it is worth watching, especially, you know, for an early work from, you know, somebody like Desika. But it's like, you know, you got a question, like, man, do, do, are they aware they kind of they kind of screwed this character over? You know, you got to ponder that. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Who knows? Maybe there's more moral ambiguity to it. But uh, either way, his films will be watched thoroughly. And I'm trying to get through what I intended to talk about here. And speaking of which... Actually, not speaking of which, but a gem, a bit of a gem that I, I'll say that I watched fairly recently that I, I'm going to be f fairly brief on. I really don't want to talk about it too much because I want, if any of you should watch this film, I want you to have the same experience that I had. Now, I'm not, uh, let me put this up front. I'm talking about from 1973, uh, Dying Room Only, which is a TV movie uh, starring Cloris Leachman, Ross Martin, Ned Beatty. And it's a film that... Oh, Dabney Coleman as well. Small part in the film. But it's a film that if you're going to watch it, I want you to watch it as as, as just a mystery. Alright, here's the setup. I'm not going to tell you anything else about it. Uh, let's see. Or Cloris Leachman and her husband, Dabney Coleman. They're going... Uh, I forgot where the hell they're going. See their relatives or something. But they, decide, they decide to stop at an isolated roadside diner. This diner is run by Ross Martin. And uh, who's the other fella here? Let me get the name here. And Ned Beatty. That's right. They're running this diner, and, uh, you know, right when they walk in, these guys are just mad. Like, God forbid they come in here, they want to eat food, they want to have a beverage, this is ridiculous. This is totally absurd, you're wondering how the hell these guys are making any money, especially being in the middle of nowhere, but hey, it's a film. So anyways, uh, you know, Cloris Leachman, she gets a bad vibe from these guys. They're just like, hey, let's get, let's get out of here, man. And uh, her, uh, Bob's like, no, man, well, we're hungry, we're here, we're eating, we're drinking, so what, you know? And, uh, let me, uh, let me, I'm trying to think how much more I ever want to say, because I think the mystery is so interesting about the film. Basically, uh, from there, a mystery starts to happen. Let me just leave it at that, actually. You know what, I'm not even going to go into any more about that, because I remember hearing about this film being recommended. But I didn't remember a thing about it. I didn't remember what the setup was. So I'm watching this film, and then when the first ten minutes, when that mystery is set up, it had me on the edge of my seat. And when I say the edge of my seat, I mean, I'm watching the film and I'm wondering, where the hell is this going to go? I am I mean, running through possibilities in your head. You're running through different scenarios. The characters are debunking scenarios. And you're just like, man, where is this going to go? Now, I will say, this is not a great film. The first half, all the setup is great. The payoff is a little weak. Um, it's, it's a little typical. It's a little obvious. But... I will say that because I was so engaged for most of the film, and Cloris Leachman holds a lot of the film, she does a very good job, as well as another character, uh, Dan L. Carr, who comes into the film, uh, who at first you have one idea about his character, but they actually kind of uh, subside cliches and do something more with him, which is uh, just a real great treat. Um, I found this to be a, a really thoroughly enjoyable TV movie that although the third act goes into least less interesting territory. Ultimately, the build-up uh, is worth the watch nonetheless. And that's available on a Warner Archive DVD, which you can find online. So um, I got to most of what I want to talk about. Can't get through it all, but you can get through what you can. So, okay, guys. 
It's the start of a week. If you're sitting around and you're thinking, I want to do this, I want to do that, but I've wasted so much time and uh, I've done this, and I've d- I haven't done that and this, that. Well, I got, good for, I got good news for you guys. You can start right now. You can follow your dreams, follow your pursuits, your passions, your artistic, your creative endeavors. Make sure you're using your time exactly the way you want to use it. Do not be messing around with yo-yo people, none of that kind of stuff. You know, you hang around with yo-yo people, you get yo-yo friends. You know, you hang out with garbage people, you get garbage friends, you know, all that stuff. You know, you don't want any of that. You want to be doing what it is you want to do, associating with the people you want to associate with, making sure you follow your dreams, putting in the time and the work and the effort because no one else is going to do it for you, man. So you might as well just do it. All right, guys. Good films today to talk about. I'll come back next time. Hope you will, too. All good stuff. Thank you for listening.